Well, you ready to enjoy the word together? As I said, a little bit different day. We're going to keep the worship team on the platform. We're going to kind of punctuate some places that we're going to go in, in scripture with some songs. So that's why the team is staying up today. And they feel a little awkward when I ask them to do this because they're all looking out at you and you're looking at them. But I'll just ask you not to look at them and they'll feel okay, right? <laughs> just look over here. I feel like, I feel like the posse. Like, the po- like we're at a gospel church. I, I got a posse. I, that's yeah. right. I, I, I like that thought, though, Brandon. Backing up the words. Be my posse. I love that. <laughs> Matthew chapter 21 in the New Testament, church family. If you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand, and, and Charlie in the back will be glad to share a copy of God's Word with you because we keep some Bibles in the back just in case that is what you need today. There's a little note page in your bulletin. If you'll grab that as well, that might be of some help along the way. And let me begin with a question directed towards the guys. So, so guys, how many of you have ever been in the Boy Scouts when you were growing up? How many? Oh, we got a few. We had actually more in the first service, but we have a few of you. But whether you've been in the Boy Scouts or not, I was never in the Boy Scouts. But what is the Boy Scout motto? Do you know what it is? Always, even if you weren't a Boy Scout. You know that. Always be prepared, right? That's their motto. Now, we'll flip it over onto the ladies' side. Ladies, not all ladies, but many ladies, before you feel like you can be comfortable going out in public, what do you have to do? Yes. Yes. Thank you very much. You were not a plant, but that's exactly the answer I was looking for. No, they didn't. They said, get your purse or something like that. Yeah, yeah, but right before you go out, you go through this process of doing your hair and putting on your makeup. Some wouldn't even think of venturing out without going through that process and being prepared. We won't name names, but we know that that they're out there. (laughs) You know, before a pilot climbs into the cockpit of an airplane, he goes through, in fact, he's required by the law to go through a series of very specific checks and rechecks and and overchecks and underchecks and double checks and I mean that plane does not take off until that pilot has carefully prepared both himself and the plane for flight. High school seniors are very soon going to be taking their SATs, their ACT tests as part of anticipating college. Now those aren't tests that you just show up for, are they? They are not. Well, I guess you could, but it's not going to go well for you if you do that. You have to study for those tests. You have to prepare if you're going to take those tests. And there are some of us who shouldn't even be spoken to in the morning until we've had our second cup of not decaffeinated coffee, right? Right? Or four four cups or four shots or whatever it is that you do, Brandon. I know you... We are not prepared to face the day until we have done that. And if that's what you do, don't raise your hand. We'll just say, okay. You know, if we stop and and think about it, there is very little that we do that we don't have to prepare for in some way. Whether we're talking about work or whether we're talking about play or staying close to home or going on a long trip, uh, just hanging out with our friends, or uh, doing something totally alone, even something like eating or sleeping, we have to prepare for virtually everything in our life. 
and we all have different things that we have to prepare for, and we have different ways that we prepare for those things. But the common denominator is we prepare for almost everything in our life. Now, today is Palm Sunday, and this is the day that marks the beginning of Passion Week, the week leading up to Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, which we're going to be celebrating, as we all know, one week from right now. So the question might be, have you given much thought to your preparations for Easter? Have you done that? Have you thought about preparing for Resurrection Day? I'm not sure that many folks really do that, even devoted Jesus followers. I'm not sure how many ask the question, how should I prepare for Resurrection Sunday? We do a great job of preparing for Christmas, don't we? I mean, we really do. Christmas stuff is in the stores three months before December 25th, right? To our chagrin, there are indications that something really special is going to be happening. We can just see it. Uh, We hang up wreaths. We do advent calendars. We light candles. We buy and trim Christmas trees. We we purchase gifts. We wrap them up. And we string enough lights at Christmas time to keep California Edison really happy through the holidays, right? We, 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 we prepare. Man, we prepare for Christmas. But what about Easter? What about Resurrection Day? Not so much, right? Not so much. And yet, church family, for Christians, for the followers of Jesus, Easter is arguably the most important day of our year. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Why is that true? Well, that's true because it remembers and celebrates the central event of all time. The day that Jesus rose from the dead, making a personal relationship with God and life eternal possible for you and me through simple faith in Jesus. You know, Christmas is important. God needed to enter our world. He needed to put on our skin and our bone and then live a perfect life and die a sinless life death upon a cross as our sacrifice for sin, Christmas and the cross, man, they are absolutely essential to our faith. But if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, church family, if he dies on a cross, but he remains lifeless in a tomb, then our sin debt has not been paid, has it? It hasn't been paid. And death, which is the result of sin, has not been overcome. It has not been conquered. It still rules. If Jesus doesn't rise and eternity separated from a holy God remains our future unless there's a resurrection by the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we are, as the Apostle Paul would declare it in 1 Corinthians 15, as the faith followers of Jesus, we are the most to be pitied of all the people in the world if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, right? Because why? Because we've given our lives to a lie. But Jesus has risen. Amen? Amen. And Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, is the greatest day in the Christian's year for that reason. So, once again, are we preparing for that? Are you preparing for this day of days? And how are you doing that? How can we, church family, be better prepared for this very, very special time? as individuals, as families, and as a church family? Can we give a little bit of effort, a little bit of thought, energy to 
to maybe chasing down some answers to that question this morning on the front end of Passion Week. As you look at that little note page that you have, perhaps we can even use the occasion of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the occasion we call Palm Sunday. We're fond of calling it that. Maybe we can use this event to help supply us with some answer to the question, how do I prepare well for Resurrection Day? Now, earlier, Brandon read for us from uh, read for us the account of the Palm uh, Sunday story out of Matthew. Your Bible is open to that place right now. This moment is so significant that the Holy Spirit makes sure that all four gospel writers record it, though we're going to only be consulting Matthew and Luke this morning. But all four write about Palm Sunday and this special moment in Jesus' life. And there aren't very many uh, moments in Jesus' life that all four gospel writers uh, share together. But the Holy Spirit really wants us to make sure we do not miss this. And so on this particular day, one week before Jesus' resurrection, he very purposefully and deliberately presents himself to Israel as her long-awaited Messiah, the fulfillment of so many of God's promises in the Old Testament that he would send a deliverer. He, and and, and he, is, he is wildly and excitedly welcomed by tens of thousands who are in Jerusalem at this time for the Passover. However, within a few days, this crowd, which is, is cheering him on Palm Sunday, will realize that Jesus has no intentions of leading a, a rebellion to overthrow the Roman government, which rules in Judea at this time. That's what they thought the Messiah would do. He would lead a political liberation, a political rebellion and cast off Rome and, and, and bring back Judah to its, its greatness. But that's not going to happen. They realize that's not going to happen. And so they quickly turn on him, and they're, they're cheering him on Sunday. But by Friday, they are cheering his death. That's what's about to happen in this week. But on Palm Sunday, it's very different. Within the folds of this amazing moment in Jesus' life, we find, I think, some really valuable hints for how to prepare for Resurrection Day. Three ways that you and I can effectively and meaningfully prepare for this Easter. The first of these three ways is found in the example, I believe, of the disciples on Palm Sunday as we watch them exercise simple obedience and do quickly what Jesus asks them to do. Matthew chapter 21, let me begin reading for us once more at verse 1. Now when they, that is Jesus and his disciples, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And we'll stop right there. Jesus on this Sunday sends two of his disciples on what must have seemed to them in the moment like a rather strange mission. He says, go to the little village that's just down the road and, and you're going to find a donkey and her, her colt. Untie them and 
bring them back to me. Now, none of the gospel writers tell us who the two disciples were that Jesus tapped for this task. Maybe it was one of the brother pairs, Peter and, and Andrew, or maybe James and John. We don't know. And one other thing that we don't know is what the two might have talked about uh, on their way to do what Jesus has asked them to do. But if it had been me, you know what I'd have been thinking? I'd have been thinking thoughts like, you really think we should untie and take somebody else's donkey and colt? I mean, that's like stealing. You, you think that the master knows the owner and we're going to be okay? Uh, you think this is a test of some kind that Jesus is giving to us today? What if somebody takes a swing at us when we try to take the donkey? He didn't tell us how to handle that. What if that happens? That would have been me. And the reason I point that out, church family, is because when we read Scripture, we tend to, to read the Bible kind of like it's a play. And, and as if all the characters in the, in the Bible know the script. They know what's about to happen. These guys don't know what is about to happen. Jesus has asked this thing of them. Go get the donkey and the colt and bring them back to me. But they don't know what's going to happen. They haven't got a clue. And yet those two disciples, whoever they were, simply did what Jesus asked them to do. And we don't want to miss that in this, in this story. They went, they found the donkey and the colt outside uh, in the street, tied to a doorway. As they're untying it, sure enough, someone says, what are you doing? Untying the colt and the donkey. They answer, Jesus, Jesus needs it. And the person lets them go. When they brought the animal to Jesus, we read that they put their cloaks over the animal and Jesus takes his seat on the donkey. They had no clue, these two disciples, all that they were going to set in motion by their obedience. They simply did what Jesus asked them to do without debate, without discussion. And look at the result. That simple obedience let them be part of the fulfillment of a 500-year-old prophecy. Zechariah in the Old Testament makes a statement about the donkey and Jesus, the king, riding upon it. And Matthew quotes that here in verse 5. Their obedience brought Jesus glory as well. Not just fulfillment of prophecy, but their obedience brings Jesus great glory. We're told that when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, a large crowd has come out of the city. They're there for Passover, so they have come out of the city. Some of them are loyal followers. Others are curious onlookers. Some are religious skeptics. They all begin to line the road from the Mount of Olives clear over to the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And they begin to joyfully praise God with loud voices, believing that the Messiah has actually come. Verse 9, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now that word Hosanna, that's a Hebrew word that means save now. Deliver now. And they're thinking Jesus is going to do it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're quoting Psalm 118, verse 25, a psalm that's loaded with messianic expectation. They believe their deliverer has come, a political deliverer. 
but not a, not a spiritual deliverer, but a political deliverer. They believe he's come. So the road into the eastern gate of Jerusalem is awash with the sounds of praise and singing and shouting, Hosanna, save us, blessed is the king. But let's not forget that what precedes all this adoration, all of this praise of Jesus, is first of all a simple act of obedience to what he's asked. Go and find the donkey and bring it to me. And they did. All in all, these two faithful disciples, I believe, serve as a great example and model for you and me all of the time, but especially so as we move into this amazing week. We can do no better, church family, than to follow the example of these two disciples, though they had no way of knowing that future, what the future would hold, what was going to be unleashed as a result of their obedience. They simply did it. They simply obeyed. And we can do that too. We can follow their example and do what Jesus asks us to do as part of preparing for Resurrection Day. I'm quite sure, 99.9% sure, that your obedience this coming week is not going to involve retrieving a donkey. That I'm pretty sure of. In truth, only you and the Lord really know what your obedience to him is going to look like. Only you and God know what obedience is will look like but the question really is will you obey what he asks you to do for example has the lord been pressing upon your heart and upon your mind for some time now that you really do need to stop resisting his invitations to come to his son in simple saving faith is that where your obedience needs to lie this morning to stop trusting in yourself, to be good enough to merit God's forgiveness and your place in heaven with him? Has, has he been bringing this offer of salvation to you in a variety of ways over a long period of time? And this moment right now is just one more of those invitations from him to you. Is Jesus asking you this morning to stop running from him? To stop running from him, to repent, to give up that old way of self-trust and ask him, ask him to pay your sin debt and purchase for you a place with him forever in his heaven. Is he asking you to do that? Is he asking you to obey him in this way? That would make for an amazing Passion Week coming and an amazing Resurrection Day if you would accept his invitation. Or having done that already, having already given your life to the Lord Jesus, maybe a long time ago, is there something else that, that the Lord might be saying to you? And he's, he's asking you to obey him, not later, but right now. Is he saying you must forgive someone in your life who, who has wounded you deeply, who has hurt you? Is he asking you to give? that person and their wounds back to him and allow him to take care of that for you? Is he asking you in obedience to forgive someone that you are harboring an unforgiving spirit towards and taking that with you right now into resurrection day? Is he asking you to let go of that? And will you do that? Is he saying that there's a person or family that that you and he know and he wants you to help that family. He has supplied you with the means to help that family, the ability to help them, but you really don't want to. 
You may not even like that family or that person. Is what Jesus is asking you to do, are you going to obey that? Or are you just going to keep doing what you've been doing and carry that into Resurrection Sunday? Is he asking you to give up something, something that you love, but it's really not deepening your relationship with him? Is he asking you to give that up, but you don't want to? Will you obey him? Is he asking you to take something on that you've been putting off because you're afraid? And by your fear, you are reflecting a lack of confidence in his power to work through you to do what he wants you to do. You're just afraid. And so you're not obeying him. He's asking you to do something, and you know it, but you're afraid. Are you going to carry that fear into resurrection morning, or are you going to obey? Is he saying that there's something that you need to say no to and just stop doing it right now? Will you obey? You know, one day Jesus asked a very relevant and penetrating question of his followers. It comes out of Luke's gospel, chapter 6, verse 46. The question is really short and simple. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And what's the rest of it? And not do what I tell you. What an honest question from our Savior. What a perfectly reasonable question for him to ask. I am your Lord. Do quickly what I say to do. And if Jesus says do it, what should we do? (laughs) We should just do it, right? Steal the Nike slogan. Let's just do it. And as it did on that Sunday 2,000 years ago, I believe it would happen again today in your life and in my life. We would be amazed at how that simple act of obedience, whatever it is that our our Lord is asking us to do, if we simply do it, not only will that bring us great joy, but it will bring great glory to our Savior. Yeah. How do we prepare for Easter? Well, we do quickly what Jesus tells us to do. Amen? Let's sing about that together. So one surefire way to help prepare our hearts and minds for an amazing resurrection day is to simply do what Jesus says and do it quickly. A second great way, though, that we can also prepare, if you flip your note page over, is to try and feel what Jesus feels on this particular day. If we leave Matthew's gospel, jump over Mark, we'll find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke. I would invite you to join me there, Luke's account of the Palm Sunday story. Luke chapter 19 is where you'd want to join me. And here we read that as Jesus made his way towards Jerusalem, riding on the donkey, the people were cheering him. They were, they were laying their clothing on the ground in front of him, and they were waving palm fronds, uh, which symbolized for them life and joy and and salvation. It was, a, it was a tribute, an Old Testament kind of expression of a tribute of, to the Messiah. Interestingly, uh, just as a sidebar FYI for you and me, in the future, we read in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, that the redeemed of all the ages, and so if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, that would include you. In Revelation 7, 9, the redeemed of all the ages are gathered in front of the throne of Jesus. And guess what we're waving? Palm branches. 
So we're going to get a chance to do what's happening here in this moment on Palm Sunday. But as all of this is going on, this great joy and celebration is happening, the old saying really does come true, every party has a pooper, right? Because in this moment, as King Jesus is making his way towards the gate of the city, Luke tells us that some from the ranks of the crowd there, this would be Israel's religious leaders, they step out of the crowd and they confront Jesus right here in this moment. Verse 39, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Make them stop. This is ridiculous. Make them stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In other words, Jesus says, in this moment, there cannot not be rejoicing. It has to be. The king of kings is presenting himself to his people. If the people are silent, the rocks are going to start cheering. Now, that's quite a statement. The rocks are going to cheer. Verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he what? He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will, will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Stop right there. Something happened on this ride into Jerusalem that often gets missed during the telling of the Palm Sunday story. It's a detail that seems to get swallowed up by this, this great crowd of people with all of their shouts and their emotion and their excitement. And yet there it is in black and white, as clear as can be. Verse 41, And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept. He cried over it. Only Luke records this important detail. Matthew, Mark, and John don't mention it, but we sure don't want it to escape our notice here today. It was back in 1993 that Lisa and I were able to, to travel to Israel and spend some time there as part of a tour group. And, and we stood on the Mount of Olives just to the east of Jerusalem. And, and uh, this was where Jesus was at on this particular Palm Sunday morning. We looked out across the Kidron Valley at the Eastern Wall and the, the Temple Mount, and we saw the, the Golden Dome of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is the dominating feature today. And when you see the city of Jerusalem from this location, lying out there in front of you, it's really quite a moving sight. Jesus would have seen something different, but it would have been a different cityscape for him than what we would see today, but, but not altogether different. And so he's on the Mount of Olives and he's looking across and he's seeing the city. One afternoon, uh, as part of this trip, I had a chance to walk alone from the Mount of Olives down the same road that Jesus would have traveled on that Sunday. And as I walked the road, I remember very clearly reflecting upon the Palm Sunday journey of Jesus, the crowds and the palm trees and and uh, at one point along that path, uh, there were workmen who were repairing the wall that you actually see there. 
they were repairing that wall, and so they had made a pile of uh, discarded rocks, the Jerusalem limestone rocks. And so I, I bent down, and I, I found a tear-shaped stone. This, this was the stone that I, I found. I didn't ask for permission. I just took it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, I picked up this particular rock with this particular shape so that from that point on, going forward, I would remember this moment. I would be reminded not only of, of this moment when Jesus said, if the people don't praise, then the rocks will cry out. But I also picked it up as a tear-shaped stone to remind me that as Jesus made this trek, he was crying. He was crying. As a matter of fact, church family, the Greek word that Luke uses here for wept is, the, is, the, is, is not the word that you would use for a little tear in the corner of your eye. This was the Greek word for that kind of soul-wrenching, gut-racking, teeth-gritting sobbing that comes when a dear friend has died and you are mourning their loss. That's the kind of weeping that we are talking about. In fact, this is the word that is used of Mary as she sobs outside the tomb of her brother Lazarus in John chapter 11. It's that kind of of gut-wrenching crying. This is the word that is used to tell us about Peter's bitter weeping uh, after he had denied Jesus three times on the eve of the crucifixion and then he heard the rooster crow and Peter bitterly wept. Well, this is the kind of weeping that it was. Heaving sobs. It's the word that was chosen to describe Mary Magdalene as she is crying outside of Jesus' tomb on resurrection morning before she knows that he is risen from the dead. She is just sobbing. And so as you envision Jesus in this moment, people everywhere cheering and clamoring, and you see Jesus in your mind's eye on that donkey, you picture him as though he is heaving sobs of great sorrow because that's the picture. That's the image that you want to have. He is sobbing for his people, the Jewish people. He's not sobbing. He's not weeping for himself. He's not not weeping over the fact that he knows the cross is five days away and he will be hanging on the cross. He is weeping over Israel because he knows that his people are going to reject him. They are going to refuse to receive their Messiah. They can only envision a political deliverer. They can't envision one who would liberate and deliver from sin's tyranny and power and control. All they can think about is political deliverance. And they will completely miss Jesus. And he weeps because they don't recognize him. Her hard heart will bring a terrible judgment. And Jesus foresees this. And he speaks about this in this particular moment. As he's choked with sobs. Rather than the joyful shouts and praises that resounded all around him, all Jesus can hear in this moment is the screams, the cries, the shrieks, the anguish of men and women and children who will die in the city when the Roman army invades in 70 A.D., reduces the city to rubble, destroys the temple, and slaughters the people. That's all he can see in this moment. When everyone was having a party on Palm Sunday, Jesus is filled with compassion and sorrow for his people. They didn't realize 
their own spiritual need. Nor could they see that their Messiah was in their midst and could meet that need. Jesus wept bitterly. Might Jesus serve as an example for us this week before Easter as part of our preparation? We could do no better than to prepare for Resurrection Sunday than by letting ourselves, as best we can, feel what Jesus feels here. Letting our hearts be broken for those who are without a Savior. Feel compassion for those who are lost and destined to enter a Christless eternity unless Jesus breaks in. To allow ourselves to feel what Jesus feels when he looks at a world that doesn't know him and grieve over that. That's part of preparing for Easter. I can't tell you who those persons might be that you would want to feel that way for. But I know that in your life and in my life, there are some people right now who don't know your Savior. True? They don't know your Jesus. How do you feel about that? How do you feel towards them? What do you feel? Maybe it's a brother. Maybe it's a sister. A mother. Maybe a father. Maybe it's a very dear friend. Maybe it's a classmate who sits in front of you at school or behind you. They all share in common that they have not yet experienced the forgiveness and the deliverance and the peace and the freedom that comes when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus as your risen Savior. They've not experienced that. They don't know what that's like. How do you feel for them? Do you feel for them? If we let ourselves feel what Jesus feels, it's going to result in compassion from us towards those without a Savior yet. It's going to happen. And perhaps it's going to give us a boldness to share the life of Jesus with another when we might not otherwise have done so. How do we prepare for Easter? Well, we try to feel what Jesus feels. Let's sing about that together. So one way to prepare for Easter is to do what Jesus says and do it quickly. The second way is to feel what Jesus feels, to try to feel what he feels. And then taking our cues from the Palm Sunday story one more time, a third way to prepare is to tell others who Jesus is. If we were to go back to Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 21, Brandon had read for us the last two verses there of this moment, verses 10 and 11. I've reprinted them there on the bottom of your note page as well, but here's how they read. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. When Matthew says that the city was stirred up, he uses the word, the Greek word, sio, from which we get our English word seismic. It's the same word that Matthew will use in chapter 27, writing about the crucifixion of Jesus, where it says that at the moment of Jesus' death, the earth shook and the rocks split. The word sio, seismic. 
And so what Matthew's telling us here is that the city has been turned upside down. It's in an upheaval because of Jesus. Jesus has made a difference in the lives of the people. They are aware of him and his miracles and his message. And, and they can sense that, that something is different about him. And they have a question. Who is this? Who is this? I wonder today if many who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior are waiting to see if you and I would be able to answer that question for them. I wonder. I wonder how many are watching you and me as we do life and, and they're looking at us and they're wanting to see if there really is a God and, and, if, and if he really does care and if he really is different and difference making in our lives. They're waiting to see if we who fill the churches and sing the songs and pray the prayers and claim to know him, if we really live differently than the world lives. They want to know, do we know Jesus? They want to see if we really trust in God when our faith is being stretched. Will we really rely on him? Will God make a difference for us? They're watching you. They're watching me. And I wonder if they should see us consistently doing what Jesus says and feeling what Jesus feels, I wonder if they might not just be prompted to ask, who is he in your life? Tell me about him. I wonder if they wouldn't ask you. Who is this that you trust in? What's he about? First Peter 3.15, at the bottom of your note page, says this. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, obey him and feel what he feels. Always be, what's the next word? Prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. What better way for us to prepare for Resurrection Sunday than to be ready at any moment to tell a friend or a neighbor or a family member or a classmate or a co-worker about the hope that Jesus gives to our life. To be ready to do that. Are you ready to do that? What better way to prepare for Easter than to feel Jesus' compassion for the lost and, and be bold enough to invite them to join you at sunrise service next Sunday morning at 6.30. What better way to prepare for Easter than to, to be bold enough to, to invite them to come here to share brunch with you and, and join you for, for services here at IBC. There's someone around each of us, you and me right now, someone in our circle who is wondering, who is this Jesus? They honestly don't know. But maybe they'll ask you. Will you have the answer for them? Do you know that surveys indicate that the majority of people who don't go to church at all, who haven't experienced new life through faith in Jesus, do you know the majority of them give the reason for why they don't go to church to be, I was never asked. I was never asked. Now, that could be just a cop-out, you know, just a convenient way to deflect. I, I get that. 
But that is the consistent answer. Why don't you go to church? Well, nobody ever asked me. Let's prepare for this Resurrection Sunday by doing what Jesus says, by feeling what he feels, and perhaps by trying to invite someone to come so their questions about Jesus can get answered. To come to Sunrise with you, to come to Idlewild Bible Church. You don't want to put pressure on them, no, no guilt trips, just simply say, would you like to come with me? And, and when they say yes, don't act surprised. Okay? Like, really? You're kidding. You would? Act like you knew this was happening because you've asked the Holy Spirit to give you a person or a family to invite. Don't act surprised. Be thankful. However or whatever happens after that, that's all the Holy Spirit's business. That's not your business. Your business is simply to invite them to Jesus. Yeah? What an amazing Easter this could be if we just prepare a little bit. Do what Jesus asks us to do. Try to feel what he feels when he looks at a lost world. And be bold enough to invite someone in our circle to get to know him better. That would be a great Easter if those things happened this week. Yeah? The God of great grace and mercy who came into our world, put on our flesh, died our death so that we could have your life. That's worth our applause. More than that, it's worth our life to give our life back to you, to use as you would be pleased to use it so that others are introduced to the gift of your son. Enable us, I pray for myself, I pray for my friends who call IBC home and our friends who are visiting us today from wherever. I just pray that this would be an amazing week, a week marked by our commitment to obey you, Lord, in whatever way you might call us into your service, that we truly would be able to feel your heart for a world that doesn't know you, a neighbor who doesn't know you, a friend, a classmate. Oh, I pray that we would feel your, your compassion, and then, Lord, that we would be bold, bold to, to answer the question of anyone who asks, what's the reason for the hope you have? Make us bold. Give us that, that, that person, that family, that we might be able to, to invite to Resurrection Day services. We trust you for that, because it will bring you great glory. We ask it in Jesus' great name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.